Welcome back to Magna Vita. I'm Alex Olson. Every Tuesday, we share the best practices and principles from the week's top podcasts. Every Friday, we share a bonus episode to help us build a great life. Last Friday, we talked about how Thomas Edison failed thousands of times, which enabled him to succeed. This week will be our sixth book review. Every other week, we'll be reviewing a book we just read. This week, we're talking about The Boys in the Boat, Nine Americans and Their Epic Quest for Gold at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin by Daniel James Brown. And to do it justice, just want to read the quick summary of it from the Amazon description. So I think it's powerful and sums up what the book is all about. It says, Out of the depths of the depression comes an irresistible story about beating the odds and finding hope in the most desperate of times. The improbable, intimate account of how nine working class boys from the American West showed the world at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin what true grit really meant. The emotional heart of the tale lies with Joe Rance, a teenager without family or prospects, who rose not only to regain his shattered self-regard, but also to find a real place for himself in the world. Brown has created an unforgettable portrait of an era, a celebration of a remarkable achievement, and a chronicle of one extraordinary young man's personal quest. All right, so I know that's a lot, but I really do love this book, and I think it's so powerful. The story, so it focuses on Joe Rance and his incredible strength and ability to overcome obstacles, but also it's so interesting how it weaves in the narrative and the story of the Great Depression and Nazi Germany. So that's kind of three parts. They're, they're weaving in throughout the book. Oh man, it's late. I don't know if that's actually a word, weaving. Hopefully woven in is probably a better way to put it. So they're woven in throughout the book. And it's really powerful how they tie in together. Uh, but for the purpose of this podcast, to make it more simple, I just wanted to go through each one. So the Great Depression, Nazi Germany, and then the actual rowing, which is the best part of the book. So with that, we'll get into it. The first part we wanted to talk about is the Great Depression. And it's so powerful because it really puts things into perspective. In today's 24-7 news cycle and with Twitter, I think it's easy to feel like the world is coming to an end and it's never been worse. But it's so powerful to look back into history and to see that times have been worse and people were able to overcome those challenges and those obstacles and we can do the same. And so a couple of the stats that Daniel James Brown shares, he said that almost half the mortgages in America were delinquent. So almost, so one out of two people, one out of two homes in America, those people couldn't pay for their own homes. And they said, the author said that one in four working Americans had no job and no prospects of finding one. And only a quarter of them were receiving any kind of relief. He said that the worst part about it was nobody knew when this could end. They said it felt like it was, there was no hope and there was no end in sight. The author said, whether you were a banker or a baker, a homemaker or homeless, 
It was with you night and day, a terrible, unrelenting uncertainty about the future, a feeling that the ground could drop out from under you for good at any moment. And so these stats are incredibly powerful, but I loved when the author talks about it on a personal, individual level. Those are the moments I think we really remember. And so he talks about, I'll just share the quote. He said, the main character saw this individual and he's describing what he sees in the man who's struggling and can't find work. He says, it was the expression on the man's face that was the most arresting. Haunted, haggard, somewhere beyond hopeless. It suggested starkly that he no longer believed in himself. He said, for many of the millions of Americans, it was an all too familiar expression. One they saw every morning when they glanced in the mirror. Another really interesting part about the depression was when the author talked about the Dust Bowl. He said that somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 million tons of American topsoil had become airborne in a single storm. Farmers at work in their fields crumpled to their hands and knees and groped aimlessly about, unable to find their way to their own doorsteps. And so the Dust Bowl, if you're not familiar with it, it's when, and this was just one storm, this happened several times, where storms would come and take away all the good fertile land that farmers relied on to provide for themselves and their families. And the author said that it resulted in two and a half million Americans becoming refugees streaming westward across the continent in search of jobs that did not exist, adrift, rootless, homeless, dispossessed in their own land their confidence as well as their livelihoods carried away on the wind. I think that's so incredible to think about two and a half million refugees. And I know that there are currently probably even more than that right now, but just to think about how bad it was in America, I can't imagine now if there were two and a half million refugees within America. So this just puts things into perspective again. And the last part, well, two more parts from it, it was interesting. It also talked about the really horrible strikes that happened between union labor and employers. So they're trying to get fair wages so that they can live. Um, and what was incredible was it said that the strikers were armed with two by fours and they charged police positions. Mounted police launched cavalry charges into the mass strikers, swinging at them with batons. So this sounds like it's coming out of the Civil War, but this was in Seattle. Like, it's just incredible to think about police charging strikers, protesters. And so I do think a lot of progress has been made since then. And I, I know things aren't perfect, but it's just incredible to hear about this happening in our own country. And the last part on the Great Depression, I think what stood out to me the most was about the main character, Joe Rance, when he was only 10 years old he was abandoned by his family because they couldn't feed him and the other kids so he was the oldest they said joe we're sorry but the other kids need us more and we can't feed you all and so he was kicked out of his own home he had to sleep at his school and he would do work there and he would work at a local cafeteria to try to get food to eat 
And it's just, I can't imagine being in that situation as a parent and how hard that must have been. But it's interesting because it talks about how that made Joe stronger, both physically and mentally, as he did any kind of work that he could find. So hopefully that can help with some of the struggles that we see going on today and it can give us some positivity and perspective when people, I think we can all get to that point where we're overwhelmed and it seems like it's just too much, but hopefully this can help us to carry on. The second part of the book is about Nazi Germany. And the main message that I got out of this is the quote from Edmund Burke, and he said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And the author talks about how when Germany was starting out, there were signs that they were discriminating and persecuting their own people, but the world stood by and did nothing. And so the Olympic Games in 1936 were propaganda where they were trying to trick the world into thinking that Germany was peaceful and that they were prosperous and good people. And I'm talking specifically about Nazis. And one of the really interesting quotes from the book, the author said, 30,000 German troops had rolled into the demilitarized Rhineland in open defiance of both the Treaty of Versailles and the Losarno Pact. Nazi leadership waited anxiously for the world to react. They knew that Germany did not yet have sufficient military strength to survive a war with either France or Britain, let alone the two of them combined. The next 48 hours, Hitler later confessed, were the tensest of his life. Unfortunately, as we know, the rest of the world did nothing at all. Later, a senior Nazi official would say, after this happened, the Fuhrer is immensely happy. England remains passive. France won't act alone. Italy is disappointed. And America is uninterested. So hopefully this is a good reminder that big important things start as small things. And if we can stand up for what's right when it's small, and I'm not just talking about war or, or stuff like Nazi Germany. I think this can happen every day in our personal life that when we take those small steps to stand up for what's right, we can protect ourselves and we can make progress towards our goals and we can make sure that we're all moving in the right direction. The last and the best part of the book is when the author talks about the sport of rowing. It's an incredible metaphor for life and for work. And it's interesting, I didn't know this, but he said in the 1920s and 30s, collegiate crew was wildly popular, often ranking right up there with baseball and collegiate football and the amount of press it received and the crowds it drew. So it talked about how hundreds and thousands of people would come to these races. And I think it's because of the three qualities or the three themes in this section. And so they wanted to split it up and just share some great, great quotes from each. So it's mental toughness, pushing through pain, and unity. So starting with mental toughness, I really like the author said, a successful quest for Olympic gold would require finding nine young men of exceptional strength, grace, endurance, and most of all, mental toughness. 
So I, I really love, love this section because rowing is such a physical sport, but I love how the authors talked about how the mental part is just as important. And if they didn't have that, they wouldn't be any good. They, the author said, a race must be rowed with head power as well as hand power. From the first stroke, all thoughts of the other crew must be blocked out. Your thoughts must be directed to you and your own boat, always positive, never negative. I love that idea. And they talked about in the boat, or in the book, sorry, that if they took their mind outside of their own boat, if they worried about what the other people were doing, or if they thought about anything else, then they would not be focused enough to be successful. And another great quote they said, the author said, when the critical moment in a close race was upon you, you had to know something he, the other opponent, did not. That down in your core, you still had something in reserve, something you had not yet shown, something that once revealed would make him doubt himself, make him falter just when it counted the most. I really like it. At one point, they talked about another person, another character in the book, and they say he wasn't polished yet, but he never seemed to tire, never showed pain, just kept going, kept driving forward no matter what. He never seemed to believe he was beaten, even if he was. He rode his heart in a losing cause as in a winning one. And so I love this idea that no matter what situation we're in, we can always be mentally tough. We don't have to show that pain. I think there's a time and a place for it. We don't want to hide it if we need help. But I also think it's so powerful that we can be strong for others, that we can have that mental toughness as well, which leads right into the next part, which is pushing through pain. I really like the author said, it's not a question of whether when you race, you will hurt or how much you will hurt. It's a question of what you will do and how well you will do it while pain has her way with you. So I love that idea that at times we're going to suffer. It's, it's just how life is. And we're, we can't change that fact. And for the people in the boat rowing, pain was actually a good thing. It meant that they were working hard and they were pushing themselves as hard as they could. And so hopefully we can reframe those tough moments in our life and we can use that pain to help us as a sign that we're doing what's right and we're pushing ourselves. Talking more about racing, they said, every muscle, tendon, and ligament in their bodies was burning with pain, but they were rowing beyond pain, rowing in perfect, flawless harmony. Nothing was going to stop them. Some, somewhere deep down inside, each of them grasped at shreds of will and strength they did not know they possessed. Their hearts were pumping at nearly 200 beats per minute. They were utterly beyond exhaustion, beyond what their bodies should be able to endure. So I love that when they had this goal and they were working on it together, they could push through that pain and they could go deeper and do more than they ever thought possible. Which leads perfectly into the last section, which is about unity and teamwork. And it's an, an incredible metaphor, and I think these messages are just as important in our families, in our work, as they are in a sports team. The author said that there were times when the main character, Joe, seemed to think that he was the only person in the boat, 
as if it was up to him to row the boat across the finish line all by himself. And that was because he was abandoned when he was young by his family. And so he learned that he couldn't trust other people. But he goes on to say, when a man rowed like that, he was bound to attack the water rather than to work with it. And worse, he was bound not to let his crew help him row. And he goes on to say what mattered more than how hard a man rowed was how well everything he did in the boat harmonized with what the other rowers were doing. And they said a man couldn't harmonize with his crewmates unless he opened his heart to them. So I love this idea that so often in life we can feel like we're the only ones in the boat and we have to put that burden on our shoulders and we have to carry it alone. But I, I like what they're saying that that's just not true, that we have other people with us. And if we can have the strength and the courage to trust them, then we will get through it and we'll be better together. Another really good quote about unity, the author said, The challenges they had faced together had taught them humility, the need to sus subsume their individual egos for the sake of the boat as a whole. And humility was the common gateway through which they were able now to come together and begin to do what they had not been able to do before. And the last quote on unity, the author said, when nine good-hearted young men strove together, pulled together as one, gave everything they had for one another, bound together forever by pride and respect and love. And so I just love this idea that in life it can often feel like we're the only ones going through a hard time. And to try to protect ourselves, we can push everyone else out and we might not trust them. But this book was a great example that we can be our most successful versions of ourselves when we can trust others and we can learn to work with them and we can learn to rely on them. So again, this isn't doing it any justice. It's an incredible book that I definitely recommend. And I hope that it helps this next week as we go through hard times, as we experience that pain. I hope that we can have the mental toughness and that we can learn to rely on others for help and for strength so that we can have the success both personally and professionally that we're looking for. So thank you so much for being here and for listening for this to this. We'll see you on Tuesday and we hope that you have a great weekend. Mm -hmm.